with Lake Erie to the east, where the plane was headed. The immense and brooding lake, famous for its squalls, got its name from the Iroquoian word Erie for cat, because it is unpredictable. The weather was unseasonably wet and mild for June, but the temperature inside the cockpit was neither too cool nor too warm. McCormick leaned back and took a sip of coffee from a cup cradled in the black vinyl console next to his seat. Flight 96 was on its way to LaGuardia Airport in New York City, with a stopover in Buffalo, New York. McCormick had flown the first leg of the flight out of Los Angeles that morning, so he let First Officer Peter Page Whitney, 32, fly the takeoff from Detroit. All the gauges on the instrument panel registered as normal, and the plane's three turbofan Pratt & Whitney engines, two under the wings and one mounted on the tail, were performing beautifully. The autopilot was on, but Whitney kept his hands on the yoke out of habit. McCormick glanced upward and spied a Boeing 747 in the skies far above them. The regal jumbo jet was climbing toward its eventual 30,000-foot cruising altitude in the lower stratosphere. Smaller jets, such as their DC-1010, were built to cruise as high as 42,000 feet above sea level, but it did not need to go that high during shorter flights, such as this one from Detroit to Buffalo. Whatever the altitude, the plane's internal environment was completely contained and regulated. If the passengers closed their eyes, they could easily imagine they were sitting in their own living rooms. McCormick turned to Whitney, pointed at the Boeing 747, and said, There goes a big one up there. His first officer leaned forward to get a better look at the jumbo jet and its impressive 200-foot wingspan. Just two years earlier, First Lady Pat Nixon had christened the premier 747 at Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C., before its inaugural flight in January 1970. As a veteran pilot, McCormick, who was then 52 years old, must have questioned the wisdom of building a plane that could carry 500 passengers. How could an aircraft that big make an emergency landing? The McDonnell Douglas DC-10, by contrast, was built to fly cross-country, but was small enough to land at airports such as Detroit that had shorter runways. The DC-10 was smaller than the Boeing 747, but still impressive. That day, it was carrying another 30 tons of added weight in the form of cargo, fuel, and passengers. At 170 feet, its fuselage was slightly longer than a football field, and it was 58 feet high, the equivalent of more than five stories tall, with a wingspan of 155 feet. Both pilots were well aware that their new DC-10 was only the fifth one manufactured by McDonnell Douglas. The first DC-10 had made its maiden flight in August 1970 and entered commercial service with American Airlines one year later, on August 5, 1971, on a round-trip flight between Los Angeles and Chicago. Whitney had 75 flying hours in the DC-10, more than McCormick's 56 hours at the Yoke. McCormick was a veteran pilot who had accumulated 24,000 hours of flying time, while Whitney had almost 8,000 hours to his credit. Although it was not in his nature to be smug, McCormick was pretty sure he had invested more time than any other American Airlines pilot in studying the DC-10's capabilities. And he was satisfied with how the plane felt as he monitored routine radio chatter coming from control towers in Detroit and Cleveland.
The wide-body plane could carry up to 380 people, but that evening it was lightly loaded with just 56 passengers, or souls on board, plus 11 crew members, including eight flight attendants and the three-man cockpit crew. A corpse and casket bound for Buffalo were stored in the cargo hold, along with the passengers' luggage. Both McCormick and Whitney felt at home in the spacious cockpit with side-by-side padded seats, wide armrests, and identical yokes for steering. The throttles that controlled the plane's three engines were within easy reach on the console between them. The DC-10 exemplified the prevailing credo that all commercial jets should be built to look and feel like comfort on wings. In 1972, air travel was still synonymous with glamour and the DC-10 was a bona fide luxury jetliner with a lounge for first-class passengers in the front